All right, good morning once again, everybody. That was my special effect. That noise was me taking off my COVID-19 measures mask. Anyway, so that was uh, kind of ruined the moment, but I'm sorry. Um, but our God is bigger than the moment, isn't he? Um, I think my mom is watching this uh, in Thunder Bay, Ontario right now, but uh, mom, this one's for you. So we, um, I was doing a sermon one time that was like finishing up, and it was like one of those sermons where you felt like someone, you know, may come to faith in Christ through this. Like, this is good stuff, you know. If you've ever been in front of a group of people sharing your testimony or doing a Bible study, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, yeah, we're really riffing, the Holy Spirit, this is going. And I was getting to that point, and then all of a sudden my mom, God bless her soul, um, she had a new ringtone on her cell phone. <laughs> And it was, take me out to the ball game. <laughs> I am in my mother's image. I really am. I was created in my mother's image. And anyway, so that went on. And while I, that's one of my favorite songs, and it might even cause me to worship at times, it wasn't uh, the, the timing for it. And she felt so bad. And I'm just like, Mom, I'm actually glad you did that. Because we're not trying to woo people with emotions. God's bigger than that. He's bigger than distractions. He's bigger than all that. So thank you, Mom, for being another one of the amazing, doing another amazing thing in my life and helping uh, me become the, the person that I am. So thank you, Mom. All right. That wasn't planned. But what was planned is this. Um, have you ever been in a situation where you've been crying out to God over and over and over again? And maybe you're going to meetings, Bible studies, churches, meeting with Christian friends, drinking a lot of coffee. You're doing everything you think you know and how to engage with God and how to meet with Him and how to get in your, yourself in a place where He can rescue you and deliver you and redeem you from what you're suffering and what you're crying out about. I don't know about you, but in my life, sometimes God delivers me very quickly, right? I saw this uh, coffee mug in Spokane, Washington that I wish I had purchased. Do you know what this coffee mug said? I drank so much coffee today that I accidentally believed in myself. <laughs> but isn't it true? Is that sometimes, you know, all it's, a, it's a cup of coffee, a prayer, coffee in the Word, and we feel better and we can move on. Um, but other times, there's been a, times in my life and I don't know about you, but there's been time, there is a light flashing, there's another. If anyone was praying that God would flash a light to answer a prayer, that might be it, okay? <laughs> God, is this what you're saying, flash a light? Anyway, but that, that, yeah. you're welcome, you're welcome. Um, so, well, back to that point of you're praying and you're like, it's like sometimes God doesn't answer right away. There was a period in my life where I was going to bed every night, staring at the ceiling. I was sleeping by a window so I could see the, the, the stars. I could see the airplanes go by at night. And I just thought, like, Lord, where are you? What are you, what are you doing? What am I doing? Uh, have I screwed up my life? Have I got myself in a place that it's impossible for you to rescue me because, God, I've been praying for days, I've been praying for weeks, I've been praying for months, I've been praying for years, but I still 
seems that you have not been um, rescued by you. So while it's, it's a kind of a, a sacred thing to, um, to approach the scriptures, and we're, what we'll see is that we're kind of treading on holy ground when we encounter the very presence of God in the world, we got to take it carefully like when we go into the Bible and try to relate everything to ourselves because for most of us, maybe all of us, we're not going to have a burning bush experience with God. And to read too much into the story, it's like, well, I'm going to have that. It's like, nah, that, that's Moses, okay? <laughs> that's a pretty big deal what's going on in the scope of redemptive history in the Bible, the story of the Bible at this time. And, uh, but I do want to talk about how um, God does answer our cries and we see it in this, uh, one of the most significant parts of the scriptures, what begins God rescuing his people out of slavery of Egypt and begin their journey to the promised land that he had promised Abraham um, many generations previously. All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to open up to Exodus chapter 3. And I just want to read that so we can see what we're dealing with. And um, once again, I don't know how many of you, raise your hand if you've ever prepared a teaching, Bible study, your testimony, a sermon. Raise your hand. I just want to see how many people have done something like that. Look, it's like everybody. I really am preaching to the choir. That is fantastic. That's wonderful. Um, Exodus chapter 3, and for you at home, I think the majority of hands went up, um, just so you know. Um, Exodus chapter 3. And we're just going to start, um, I don't have the slide for this, but I'll start at the end of chapter 2. During those days, during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. So that introduces um, the episode that we're in right now. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, which will also be, spoiler alert, referred to as Mount Sinai in the future. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, and yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, 
the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go therefore, sorry, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. You and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people, people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go out empty. And so forth. So, spoiler alert, that's, that's next Sunday. But what I wanted to uh, look at with you this morning in this message, and I'll just give you my three points straight up. Are you ready? And then we'll just talk about it a little bit. You know how Thanksgiving's coming up. And, you know, the wonderful thing about Thanksgiving is you get all these individual dishes, right? Get a little turkey. Get a little, get a little uh, mashed potatoes, some gravy to go on it. You get uh, some stuffing. That's my favorite. Amazing. Um, in Canada, if you're Italian, you got uh, lasagna in there. It's true. It's really true. Um, where I'm from, they put pierogies with Thanksgiving. My goodness. If you're lucky, even some cabbage rolls. But anyway, you know, you got these, all these different dishes and you put it together. Well, sometimes when you're making a Bible study or a message, you think, I want to serve up these dishes. But today's message is just more of a, what I call a casserole, or what you call here a, that's a hot dish message. Okay, we're just going to look at some fun things in here and then see what it means for our lives. All right? So let's do this. My three points, here they are. is that God's presence, God's name, God's revelation is sacred. 
when Moses is approaching the burning bush, when he sees that it's being burned but not consumed, he's walking towards it, and God's like, kill the motor. Like, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals. You're treading on holy ground. So the first part of this message is just this, is that when we're encountering God, that is sacred business, not to be taken lightly. What we're going to see as the Bible story goes on, and it's kind of a little bit of a foreshadowing here with God telling Moses to take his sandals off, is that we'll see when God's presence is going to be with his people, that now God um, instructs Moses to build a tent for his presence to dwell in. The bush is just the introductory um, revelation that Moses has with this God. But then God's going to, in a little bit, tell him to create this tent that God can dwell in and be there with them. And then that's what became the Jerusalem temple. And that's the temple that eventually Jesus walked into uh, the week before he was crucified. Anyway, when God gives Moses instructions to build the temple, he also gives Moses instructions about how to conduct yourself when you go to the temple or you go to the tabernacle or when you're approaching God's presence. And there's all these different laws about being ritually pure. That, and usually the laws are like this. It's that anything that's going on in your life or in your normal body cycles, anything that represents death, anything that represents uh, corruption, anything that represents that part of the human life and cycle, it's like you need to wait to be made whole again before you come into God's presence. It wasn't that those bodily cycles make someone bad or immoral. It's that they're not ritually clean to go into the very presence of God. So we see this. This is just starting here with take your sandals off. Like this is, this is holy ground. So my first part is just this. When we talk about God, when we um, go into the world to represent his name and his reputation, that's a sacred business. It's incredibly sacred. It's not just something to flippantly like God this, God that. First um, Peter chapter 4. This is something that just means a lot to me. I don't know if it'll mean something to you. But First Peter chapter 4, Peter writes this. As each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, here's, here's for me and for like most of you because all your hands went up, right, that you're in some sort of sometimes a speaking gift. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, or some translations will say the very words of God. James says that when you're a teacher, a communicator, you're, gonna, you're subject to a more harsher judgment. It's because we are talking about what God is like. We're re representing him. And that's a sacred business. So back in my life, when I was someone who was, you know, preaching and teaching more regularly, that's kind of what I did every week and different days of the week, I began to get this sense of like, Lord, I got to be careful with what I say because I'm representing you. If I say something's wrong or sin, it better be. Or else I'm laying a burden on somebody that's maybe too difficult to carry. And if I'm saying that, God, that you're promised something, your word promises something, 
I better be sure of that because I don't want to build up false hope in people. So when we're talking about God, it's a sacred business when we approach him and we encounter him. And that's maybe getting a little closer to what we'll see. Uh, I'm not doing this message, but in the future there's a Ten Commandments message where it's, you know, thou shalt what? Not take the Lord's name in vain. And that commandment is not thou shalt not cuss. The commandment is when you take on the name of God, it's like you, we are to, to reflect that true image, to speak of it, to live it out, to reflect that. So that's, that's the first part. Second one is this. Um, oh, and Jesus taught us to pray that. Our Father in heaven, make your name holy. Or we usually say, hallowed be thy name, which means absolutely nothing to me. All right? So I need to, to get a more modern translation of that. Instead of hallowed be thy name, it's Lord, Heavenly Father, make your name holy. And just like with any prayer, and especially in the Lord's Prayer, the point isn't, God, I'm going to pray this so you go and do that. Somehow intervene and cause that to happen. Now, God can do that if he wants, but a big part about prayer is that prayer is our own. We're saying that this is what I desire for my life, Lord. I want to be a part of this. So when we pray, God, make your name holy, keep your name holy, spread your reputation, we don't want to be false advertisements for who God is in the world. So it's, it's, a, it's a sacred business. Number two, uh, God is who he is. So um, Moses... <laughs> Oh, maybe we'll talk about, I, I'm doing the sermon next week too, so I'm kind of thinking, oh, I can cover this next week because, uh, you know, whatever. But um, Moses, he's got problems, man. Um, Moses, like extremely insecure, extremely um, I'm not worthy, and that kind of stuff is good. It's good to understand that you're not worthy, that I'm not worthy, we're all not worthy. That's really good to understand. At the same time, when God says, now, this is what you're called to, then I have to get over it. You have to get over it. We have to get over our insecurity and say that, you know, God, if you've called me to this, if you've made me pure by the blood of your son, and you've called me to now be reflecting your image into the world and serving you and, and uh, um, proclaiming the good news in the world, then I have to get over myself that I'm inadequate to do those things. Or I, I need to get some training. I need to get some help. I need to get praying. I need to get with other people. I need to... Have you ever admired someone in your life? Raise your hand if you've ever admired someone. So like, oh man, I've admired people and I have a problem. Sometimes I start imitating them. That's my problem. When I admire someone, I start to imitate them. So if I start imitating you, uh-oh, Chris is admiring me. No. But you know why we admire people? is because we want to be like that. We want to grow and become like that. Admiration is actually not always a bad thing. But on the other side of that coin is envy. I wish I could be like that. And that person is, and I don't like it. I've also had to, to deal with that in my life, is that sometimes like people are just, they're way better than me. 
in what I want to do with my life and how I think God's going to use me. And you know what? I got to get over myself in that too. It's like I'm not going to be the best family pastor in the world. I'm not. But hopefully I'll be a faithful one here at Bethany Church. Okay, so God is who he is. Well, I, just a couple of fun things. I'm, I'm going to uh, wrap up here shortly, but I thought uh, just... Are you ready for some hot dish stuff? Okay, so um, the name of God, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. When you read in your Bible and you get, you're reading a sentence and it gets to capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord, do you ever see that? And you wonder, wonder why it's in all caps and you're thinking, well, my Bible publishers must have accidentally hit the all caps button and they just went and, you know, and then went and... And it went off, you know. No, it's intentional. Uh, it's saying that it represents something that's there. And so the word Lord in Hebrew is Adonai, and that's traditionally what um, the name of God was. Um, that's what was written and spoken instead of um, saying the name out loud to keep it uh, sacred, to treat the name as secret, sacred. Now, how many of you heard that people never would utter the name of God? How many people have heard that? Did you know that we don't know that? This little hot dish part right here. Okay, we're just going to throw some Ritz crackers in here. Um, did you know that we, it's, we have no evidence of that before the Second Temple period? So we're talking 500 B.C. to 70 A.D. That's the Second Temple period. Before that, we have no record of the people not, pronoun not pronouncing or verbalizing the very name of Yahweh. Isn't that kind of cool? Okay, anyway, that's just, that's, that's just facts, people. Want another, just one more hot dish thing? Anyone want another, another hot dish? Okay, how, you want some hot dish, right on. Um, Jehovah, how many have heard that name before? How many enjoy hymns with the word Jehovah in it? It's got to be a hymn, you're like, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Unfortunately, that's not the way you pronounce the name. Jehovah, that only came up in 1100 A.D. That's the first possible record we have of that translation of that name. And that's this weird mashup of things that happened. But uh, if you're speaking with Jehovah Witnesses, you might want to bring that up. No, you don't want to. No. Anyway, sorry. Uh, I'll just move on and forget I said that. Okay. Um, yeah, so that's cool. So anyway, um, here is the Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. When God says to Moses, Moses is like, well, when you send me, who shall I say has sent me? And here's uh, a few translations. Ready for some more hot dish? It can be this. It can be speaking of God's presence with, his, with the people, with Moses and then with Israel at this time because he's come down. The same language from the Tower of Babel. He's come down now to begin to work on their behalf and to do something to rescue them to hear, after he's heard their cry. Here's the here's possibilities. I am here with you. I will be with you. I am here with you. I will be with you. That's great. You, can, you know what? With these, I have three of them. You can just pick your favorite because <laughs> none of us are Hebrew scholars. So just pick your favorite. Okay. Um, number two, I am him who causes to be, or he who causes something to be. This speaks of God as creator, that he is the one that created all things. 
But it also speaks that God is about to create something new at this time through Moses and answering the cries of his people. So that's kind of cool. And then the third one is, I will be who I will be. And this is meaning this, that God will be revealed in the things he's about to do. God will be revealed. He'll define his name through the things that he's about to do through Moses and for the children of Israel in their redemption. All right? Uh, so for me, I, I just like all three. I, I just really do, and I don't think that there's the, the, the significance to these different definitions kind of all work together like a nice hot dish. It's kind of like God is present with them. That's who he is. He's a present God. Um, he's come down to rescue them. Uh, number two, uh, he is the creator of all things, and he's about to do something new through Moses and rescue his people and create a new nation, rescue the children of Israel from Egypt and the oppression there. And the third one, I think this is awesome too, I will be who I will be, that God's revealed in the things he's about to do. For the rest of the Bible, what God is about to do through Moses, it's like they always look back to those glory days. That like God rescued us from Egypt, therefore he's going to rescue us in the future. And it's even that like that in the New Testament. And I think we'll talk more about that next week. That the New Testament is something that picks up all of this Exodus story to talk about what God is doing through Jesus in our lives. And it's a greater Exodus or a second Exodus. All right. Let's close this. Oh. Defining God, his name, Yahweh. Um, Psalm 50. Here's a little trap. I like to kind of have some guardrails, but Psalm 50 says this. Oh my goodness, I have this. Oh, it's 50. Okay. Oh, I guess I have the wrong reference. Anyway, it's uh, just this idea that God, that sometimes as human beings, we think that God is like us. But God is who he's going to be. God is defined by what he does, not by what we do. Now, we are in the made, made of the image of God, so there are certain things that are kind of like, that we feel, that we experience, that help us to connect with God, and it's his image in us. Like, for example, this generosity drive that we're doing. Anyone ever, just be honest, anyone ever get a good feeling when you do something generous? You ever get a good feeling? You do, like, you don't want recognition, and you don't want your left hand to know, like, oh, you know, you don't want to know what's going on there. But you get this feeling, it's good to be generous. I think at least a part of that is the image of God in people. It's good. It's good to be generous. Um, but there are many things inside of us in our, our, our uh, opinions and things like that that we think are God that are just probably not. <laughs> it's just like very little, flawed, Chris Pahalchuk. Mm. It's not really the Lord. Anyway, but that's the growth we have to work out. So in closing, what's our response? Our, our response is to be a faithful witness in the world, is that God is who he is. He's, he's with us. He'll be who he'll be. He's our creator, our redeemer. He's causing new life to spring out of our lives. You know what our job is? To the things that, oh my goodness, I did it again. And it was getting emotional, wasn't it?
We were wrapping up. I saw you packing up your stuff. We're like, we're almost out of here. My goodness. Anyway, but it's our job by what we say, what we do, is that my life, to glorify God is not just my life reflecting back to God, saying, God, praise you. My life is more like an angled mirror where I'm taking God's image, his glory, and I'm reflecting it into the world. Remember when you're a kid? When you were a kid or you're me and you find that there's a reflection from your watch on the wall? Who's done this? Then you shine it in your children's eyes. <laughs> the iPhone is killer for that. Anyway, my dad, stop it. Um, well, that's a really lame example. <laughs> but that's kind of what we're doing is that we're taking the image of the sun and we are reflecting it into the eyes of people, into the world. So it really matters how we live. It really matters what we say. It really matters how we're present in the world because God is being defined by his people. And we are either faithfully doing it or we have room to grow. I'd like to invite the worship team up for our final song. Let's pray. God, thank you for hearing the cry of the oppressed. Thank you for coming down and revealing yourself to Moses. Thank you for using Moses, even though of great insecurity. Lord, thank you that you are God and we aren't. Help us to allow you to define your name by the things that you do. And we think of primarily through your son, Jesus Christ, that you've shown us the love of God, your love for the world, that you gave your only son. And Father, help us to reflect that faithfully in the world. Help us to lay our lives down, to learn what hills we are to die on, and maybe what ones we aren't. Help us to shine the light of your Son into this world, that your name would be holy and people would encounter new life in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.